0: About one year ago, uh, we started working through Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, We had a few breaks here and there uh, just due to shutting down and some different things that we did over the course of the year. Uh, But uh, I think it is very fitting uh, that we bring Paul's letter to the Galatians to a close on this Easter Sunday. And uh, it's quite a fitting text for what we celebrate today, and I hope that is clear to you. Uh, But understand that today we read Paul's final remarks to people that he desperately loves. There's things that we often want to communicate if we think about final remarks Maybe it's a term paper that you have to write for school. That conclusion matters. You have to recap certain things. You have to make some point of emphasis. Uh, Maybe it's final remarks you make to some loved ones who are leaving and you won't see them for a while. Those final remarks matter. You certainly want to communicate your affection for them. You certainly want to communicate how, how much you love them in those final remarks that you make. And Paul certainly does those things, as we'll see in these final words. Let's read Galatians 6, beginning in verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even if those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. brothers amen let's pray father we lord i'm asking now that you would help me even in the foolishness of preaching to communicate the message that raises the dead to life the message that fills us with hope and joy and Lord, as we receive the word today, Spirit, we are praying that you will bring your power and bring it to bear on the hearts of all of us who engage and listen. We thank you for the opportunity that we have today to gather and celebrate a Savior that we don't deserve or earn, but a Savior who despite our shortcomings, desperately loves us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Verse 11 for us marks the earnestness of Paul's final words. It might read a bit strange, but look at it with me again. It says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. You see, the normal process in the first century for a teacher uh, to share truth with others was to have a personal secretary... And the teacher would dictate what was being uh, written and the personal secretary would write those things out. There might be a series of edits before that letter would be sent, uh, but understand that paper was expensive. And so this was a a very uh, thoughtful process that they would engage in. And so this is no doubt how most of Paul's letters were written, but we see here there's an earnestness about Paul because he says, I'm taking the pen in my own hand at this point and I'm writing in bold and obnoxious letters to you. And and some have supposed that that was because Paul had bad eyesight or he was maybe crippled and couldn't hold a pen very well. Uh, But I think the point is this, Paul does not want to be misunderstood. And so he writes it boldly. Much like if you work for a company and your manager wants to get some instructions across to you or uh, you have a teacher and there's a particular assignment that may be confusing or you have a chore list for your husband at home and there's a particular chore that you want to get done on that list you might write it in bold letters you might make the font a little bigger because you want to get that truth across Paul wants to make sure that the truth comes across And so now with the pen in his own hand, the Apostle Paul begins by attacking the false teachers who have crept in to the churches in Galatia. Let's talk about the falseness of them. Uh, to recap, uh, for those of you who haven't been here for the year, false teachers had moved into these churches in the Galatia region. Uh, Paul and his companions had gone in and they had shared the good news of Jesus with these communities and people had put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, His work on the cross, His resurrection. But as they had left, teachers had come in and began to teach what Paul calls in chapter 1, another gospel that he says is no gospel at all. They were teaching that in order to be right with God, in order to be justified, in order to be saved, you had to believe in Jesus, but you also had to follow certain traditions that were recorded in the Mosaic Law of the Old Testament. Particularly one of the popular ones in Galatia was you had to be circumcised. This involved all of the males in that community and that goes back to the Old Testament law. Circumcision is the surgical removal of a portion of the man's reproductive organ. In the Old Testament, circumcision was an outward sign that you were a part of Abraham's family. It was an outward sign that you were a part of Yahweh's chosen people. But as we've worked through every verse of this letter, every argument that Paul has made, we've learned that the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is simply this. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus uh, these particular Mosaic laws. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Christ alone who saves. Christ alone who justifies. In chapter 5, we read these verses a few weeks ago. If you accept circumcision, Paul writes, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. Because if you want to follow the law, he goes on to argue, then you've got to keep the whole law. And none of us are able to do that. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith. Faith in Jesus that works itself out in love. It's chapter 5, verse 2 through 4. It's in Christ alone, as we just sang a few moments ago. But here at the conclusion of the letter, Paul, with pen in his own hand, with extra large letters, He attacks the false teachers. He begins by attacking their selfish motives. Notice what he writes there in those closing verses. He says, it's those uh, who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would force you to be circumcised. And then he goes on to say, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. False teachers are always motivated by greed, power, prestige, It's a good way to note those who are teaching you to see if they're false or not. And here Paul notes their desire for prestige. It seems there was a a competition of sorts amongst the false teachers. How many people could they get circumcised? How many of those from the Gentile word who were coming to Christ could they uh, move through this process of circumcision? I don't know if they had like punch cards or if they had like charts on the wall where they they fill in the dots and it's kind of a bad joke, but I don't know how they were measuring the success of this, but they were measuring the success against one another to see who could get more done. Growing up, I remember in our church, we were awarded, I think year after year, a plaque that came from our association of churches, and the plaque would read, most baptisms in this particular year. And uh, that that would be very proudly displayed outside of the church office in the foyer, so everyone could see that out of all the churches, We had the most baptisms in this particular year. And and listen, there there is nothing wrong with baptism. Baptism, in fact, is the sign of the new covenant. If circumcision was the sign of the old Mosaic covenant, now that we are in the New Testament, baptism is the sign of the new covenant of us following Jesus. We're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about baptism later in the month of April, and I'm excited to do that. And so the issue is not baptism, the issue is probably bragging about how many baptisms you have in comparison to other churches and that's what was going on here these false teachers were flaunting the numbers and paul wants the galatians to understand that the false teachers aren't interested in anything beyond your your foreskin and their claim that it's going to bring them amongst themselves he's very bold in what he says he's very graphic in what he says If you've ever worked for a a big corporation or maybe even just stood in the line at a DMV, you've probably said this, we're just numbers to these people. Right, we don't don't matter. What do we mean by that? They they don't care about my name. They don't care about my family. Uh, What they care about is that I do the job they've paid me to do and I make money for them. That's the process. That's the way it works. And Paul's saying to the Galatians, listen, you're just numbers to these false teachers. They care nothing for you. But he's not done. He's got a few more things he wants to say about the false teachers. He mentions that they do what they do so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now that accusation may be a little bit more difficult to understand, but I I perceive what Paul is saying here is that the very people who are persecuting him and his companions who are sharing the gospel message of Jesus, we're talking about the Jews in all of these particular cities uh, who are still following the Judaism of old. They would be persecuting these false teachers, except these false teachers have bent the gospel in their direction. If these false teachers were real teachers and simply teaching that it is Christ crucified and Christ alone, then they would be persecuted too. But what do they do? They take a little bit of what Paul teaches... And the other apostles, and they take a little bit of what the Jews teach, and they put them together. And Paul says because of that, they avoid persecution. As a matter of fact, in verse 17, at the end, where he says, my body bears the marks of Jesus. (laughs) What's Paul talking about? Persecution. I've paid the price for being true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These pansies, they got no scars on them. They haven't been through anything because they've bent the gospel. That motivation is, again, selfish. They're only demanding that these Jesus followers be circumcised so that they can brag about the numbers and so that they can avoid the persecution of those Jewish counterparts. And understand this. This is what's so crazy about this. These Jews who they are acquiescing to and bending themselves to are the very people who killed Jesus. They're the very people, the same group, that, that are chasing Paul. Paul was once a part of them. And they're chasing Paul and the others down, trying to imprison them, kill them, do whatever they can to shut down this message. And then finally, Paul levels this at him. He says, those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Even though they're demanding the law of you, they themselves cannot keep The law, because as we have learned, no one can keep the law. We may be able to keep a little chunk here or a little chunk there, but we cannot keep the law of Moses. Only one has successfully kept the entirety of the law in perfection. Any guesses who that might be? Jesus the Christ. He did what we could not do. He did what the false teachers could not do, what the Galatians could not do, what Paul could not do, what none of us could do. And I also want to mention our catechism because just this last week, that was the question that was posed to us. Question 13 that Chuck went over, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? And since the fall of man, no mere human has been able to keep the law in perfection. In verse 14, what happens is Paul flips the script. He he switches it up. Throughout the letter, Paul has expressed his, his frustration with and his love for the Galatians. And I think any parent in the room can probably understand this. There's certain times where we are immensely frustrated with our children, but at the same time, there is a deep and abiding love for them. That's Paul's affection for these people. He underwent a great deal of persecution, if you go to the book of Acts, to even present the gospel to these people. To take this message of Jesus to them, he and his friends were greatly persecuted. Some of those scars that he alludes to in verse 17 are no doubt scars that he received in the Galatia region years earlier. And now, With pen to paper, he contrasts himself with those false teachers in hopes that the Galatians will remember his love for them, but more importantly, that they'll remember Christ's love for them. And so, let's talk about the faithfulness of Paul. In verse 14, he writes this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And the thought doesn't end there, but we're going to kind of break this up into a couple of chunks. And so Paul's first point here is that the cross is all we have to boast in. The cross is all we have to boast in. And once again, Paul is faithful to point the Galatians and us to that cross his statement here in verse 14 pulls from statements already made throughout the whole of this letter some of you may be having other verses that we've talked about come into your minds and I want to recap a few of those as we work through here but how is it how is it that we can only boast in the cross the popular opinion amongst people who believe in an afterlife something beyond this life is, is that if, if your good outweighs your bad, then probably at the end of your life, in the next life, it'll be happy. But, but if your bad outweighs your good, then the next life probably won't be that great. So you, you may have a problem with, with cussing. Oh, that's, that's bad. I, I shouldn't do that. I know I shouldn't do that. But as long as I give to churches and charity and I tip the scales in my favor, then then I'm going to be okay at the end of this life. That's the thinking that's the most popular, not just in American culture, but all over the world. But what does Scripture say about that? That's the question we always have to ask. What does the Bible say about this thinking Last week's catechism verse, which Chuck read, says this, none is righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside, and together they have become, listen to this word, worthless. No one does good, not even one. Isaiah would say this, even the, the good works, the righteous things that you do, they're still like dirty rags. They're still tainted by sin. In Galatians, we've learned that the law of Moses demands of us complete and absolute perfection. We can't miss on one point, and no human being is perfect. Therefore, we are all under the curse of the the, the law, as Paul writes it in Galatians. Again, along the lines of our catechism, we've been working through even just The Ten Commandments. Have you always faithfully trusted God? Have you ever at any point in your life doubted His plan? Have you ever treated His name as something less than honorable and worthy of the glory that goes with His name? Have you perfectly obeyed and honored your parents? in every instance of life? Have you ever done something that hurt a friend, a neighbor? Have you abstained from all forms of sexual immorality? Have you ever lied or deceived another person? Have you ever resented someone for something God has given to them and not given to you? And, and let, me, let me just answer for us collectively... We've broken all of these. Everyone in this room has broken all of these commandments that are listed here in the Ten Commandments. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're under the curse of the law. In Galatians 2.16, Paul is very clear. He says this, By the works of the law, no one will be justified. Why? Because no mere human can keep it. None of us can accomplish it. No one will ever be declared to be righteous and holy by way of circumcision or any other actions that you perform on your own. So why does Paul then say, my only boast is in the cross? Why does he look to this event of the past and say, well, that's where I'm going to focus my attention? Because knowing what he knows about himself his sinfulness, he knows he can't boast in anything he's ever done. But on the cross, Jesus, who, by the way, was no mere human, he took the curse of the law. He took our curse of the law, our sin upon himself. He, he came to us. Galatians 3 10 through 13. You can turn there if you'd like if you're still in Galatians 6, but here's what it reads: Galatians 3:10. For all who rely on the works of the law, they're under a curse. Because it is written in the book of the law, or for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it's evident that that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous live by, what's that word? Faith. But the law is not a faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And look at the beautiful verse that concludes it. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, as it is written. Cursed is everyone. Who is hanged on a tree? My friends, this right here, this that 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 Paul taps into is the good news. This is the gospel. This is not another gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul and others compel us to believe. When we stand before our Creator, we cannot boast in our good works, our filthy rags. We must, like Paul, boast only in the cross of Christ only in what he accomplished on the cross where he offers himself as our substitute. On the cross, he takes our sin upon himself and he offers us his righteousness. All of the infractions of the law that you have broken in your life, Jesus says, I'll take that on myself and all of the perfection and obedience to the law that Jesus lived in his life. He said, I'll give you this in exchange. Paul says, that's where my boast will be. Not in what I've ever accomplished, but in what he has accomplished. Paul declares in bold print, giant handwriting, my only boast is Jesus. Is that true of you today? Right here, right now. What do you boast in? Do you still think that it's your goodness, your works, that's gonna get you back to God, get you through the gates of heaven? Maybe even you came today thinking, well, if I, I'm going to church today, that's that's good, and it is good, and we're glad you're here. But friends, that's not enough. Today I plead with you as Paul pleads with us. Turn from yourself and turn to the cross of Christ. Stop boasting in yourself and start boasting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Believe in Him today. Follow Him today. Boast in Him today. But what does it mean when he says, I'm crucified to the world, and the world's crucified to me. Once again, Paul highlights that in Jesus we're free. Loved the flow of songs today because they mention the freedom that we have in Jesus. Why Why is that so important? Because I'm now free from the bondage of the law. Yeah, back in chapter one or two, Paul was given some particular examples and, and some history, and he talked about how when he and some others went to Jerusalem to meet with the other apostles, they took Titus with them as a test because Titus wasn't circumcised. And they wanted to know are these guys going to require Titus to get circumcised? Are they in bondage to the law? And they didn't. The, the, the Judaizers who were there wanted him to get circumcised, but Peter, Paul, or Peter and John and James, They didn't didn't have anything to say about it. Because we're free from the law. But we're also free from our sinful flesh. We're also free to make the right choices. I'm free in the moments of life because of Christ to choose what is right over what is wrong. I'm free to choose uh, the fruit of the Spirit over the fruit of the flesh. I'm free to choose love for my neighbor rather than bitterness towards my neighbor. I'm free to choose trust in God over worry and anxiety in life because Christ has made me free. We're free. He says this. Go back, Galatians 5, verse 24. This is a summary, it's a link back. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We're free in the Spirit. Paul says we can only boast in the cross of Christ. Second thing he says is this. The new creation is what matters. Look at verse 15 in chapter 6 with me. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. He says, I don't care about that. But what does he say? But a new creation That's what counts, that's what matters. We've already noted his argument, uncircumcised, circumcised, doesn't matter. What matters is what you believe about Jesus. And so today, today being what today is, Easter Sunday, let me reword what's said here. I wanna make the point that it is the resurrection, the new creation, the resurrection that matters. That's Paul's argument. When Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, He did so knowing that there he would bear our sins in his own body. And as he gave up the spirit and hung his head and died, they took his body and they placed it in a tomb. But three days later, on the third day, he rose again to new life. And you know you know what the scripture says about that? You know what it says specifically? That Jesus is the first fruits of the new creation. And so it's springtime, and if you've been watching maybe your trees, uh, there was one bud on that tree, or maybe your flower bed, there was one bud that began to bloom first. And you know, uh, the one bloomed, the rest are coming. That's the idea. Because of Jesus' resurrection, it's the door is open now to the new creation that will follow. Meaning that He is now in the process of making all things new again. Jesus is restoring what sin has destroyed and broken. One life at a time. One life at a time. We can see the evidence of this oftentimes in our own lives as we are keeping in step with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what's being developed in followers of Jesus. We should see the new creation day by day, week by week, month by month, as we grow in our love for other people, as we grow in joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. We should see the evidence of this new creation in our own lives. And guess what? The world should see the evidence of that new creation in our lives this light is supposed to shine for others to see it says in 2 Corinthians 5:17 if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation old things have passed away and behold all things have become new new creations in Christ And one day, this work that began on that first Easter Sunday as Jesus came forth from the tomb, it will be brought to completion. I've got Revelation 21 on the screen behind me. I want you to just follow along as I read these words. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, And because of that, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying, no pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also, he said, Write this down. (laughs) Make sure you record this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. On the cross, we get it. It is finished. Atonement has been made. But as the new creation is completed, we get this It is done. It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, these false teachers, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, adulterers, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Just two weeks ago, I... Had the honor of officiating a funeral for Penelope Ray Beale. Penelope never knew life outside of her mama's womb, and it was sad to be there. It was sad to see a tiny casket, but but because of Jesus' death and because of Jesus' resurrection, Penelope, in a way that we can't even imagine, is experiencing the new creation that Christ has gone and is preparing. It began on that first Easter, and today we're faced with the questions, what will we believe about Jesus? What will we believe about the cross? What will we believe about his resurrection? What will we believe about this new creation? Paul says this is what matters most. He says that in his own large handwriting. He says that because it's the final remarks that he's, he's reemphasizing before he brings the letter to a close. And, and the promise, that the prayer that Paul makes in verse 16 is that those who embrace these truths, he says, those who embrace these truths, those who walk by these rules, those who make the cross and the new creation the, the foundation of their life will find peace and they will find mercy. Peace and Mercy. Be upon them and upon all of the church, all of the the people of God, the Israel of God, which I believe is a reference to the church. 16 is an invitation to all of us. Today, if you cease from boasting in your own works, today, if you begin boasting in the cross of Jesus, today, if you take your eyes off yourself and turn to look at Jesus, there is peace and there is mercy. Peace because in Jesus, our relationship is restored with the Father, with our Creator. We're the ones who turn from Him. Jesus comes to draw us back to Him. And there can be peace in that relationship. Mercy because there is forgiveness in the cross of Christ. He takes our sin upon Himself. We can have peace and mercy. And so today I urge you, walk by this rule. As Paul says, make this rule the foundation of your life. Look to Jesus, boast in Him alone, cry out to Him, ask Him to make you a new creation. And for those who are here today, and you'll say, I am a new creation. I'm not boasting in my works. I've boasted in the cross. I've put my faith, as Paul says, in Jesus. That's where it's at. But maybe your life is a little off kilter. Cooperate with the Spirit in being made a new creation. Christ wants to do a work in your life far beyond what any of us can imagine. He wants to produce a wellspring of love that rivals his own because it's his spirit that lives in us. He wants us to live with the same joy that he experienced when he lived on this earth. He wants us to have that same measure of patience that he showed to even the people who were nailing him to the cross where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He wants to put that new creation in us, in you. And we're called upon to cooperate with that, to keep in step with the Spirit. Those opportunities present themselves every day. It's a matter of will I cooperate or will I take my eyes off Jesus and do my own thing? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me today if you would. I want to give just a short opportunity here for. For you in the quiet of this moment to consider your own state. <clears throat> what are you boasting in? Who are you boasting in? Is it the cross? Is that that where you look to know righteousness or, or is it your own works? Are you cooperating with the new creation that Christ desires to work in your life? I'll echo the plea that we've made multiple times as Paul's weaved us through this text. Look to Jesus today. Stop looking to yourself. Stop trusting in yourself. Look to Christ today. Call out to him today. Confess your sin to him today. Boast in him today. That's what we're called to do. And so I want to give you some time in this particular moment to pray whatever prayer you need to pray. And if you're here and you've got questions and there's still a measure of confusion and you don't know what to pray, this is a great opportunity for you, to, you can you can just simply slide out, you can come forward, somebody can take you in our prayer room and begin to show you from God's word and answer those questions for you. But in the quiet of this moment, this is our opportunity to respond to what Christ has said to us today. Father, we thank you that we have something other than ourselves to boast in. Because if all I had to boast in was my own good works, how foolish that would be. I wouldn't be able to brag very much, but, but with Jesus, with what He's accomplished, there's much to boast in. There's much to sing about. There's much to praise You for. And so God, we do that today. We boast in Christ. We come to You praying right now in Jesus' name. And Spirit, I ask that You would work in Jesus' name, in the hearts of each of us who are here today, we have to do something with the truth that's presented. Spirit, I pray that you would make new creations out of some today. Maybe you already have. Spirit, I pray that you would realign some of us to cooperate more readily with this great work that you are doing in restoring the brokenness of this creation, including ourselves, to bring you the utmost glory that you deserve. And so God, help us to be honest and truthfully responsive Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the hope we have in what we celebrate today. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the one verse that I skipped,'t I I'm, I'm more of a completer and a perfectionist, and so there's, there's a tag-along verse there that comes after that invitation in verse 18, where Paul says this, "The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers." Amen." You'll find this prayer, this wish, at the end of every one of Paul's letters. What does he mean? He means that the grace that we've received, the truth that we've received in this moment, that we would take it with us. That it's not something you're gonna leave sitting in the pew, but it's something you're gonna take with you. And for many of us, it's, it's 39 sermons worth of grace that we've received in this particular letter through Galatians. But for all of us who sit here today, it's the grace we receive in understanding what it is to boast in the cross, what it is to be a part of the new creation. Don't, don't do nothing with that. Do what's intended to be done with that. Let the grace of this go with you.